Welcome back to Start Kyle Orton. As always, I'm Travis, your host. I'm with Kyle Morris, and today is a special day. Kyle, a while back you did a poll, a little poll ski on the internet. I did. I asked the uh, people. I said, we are in the the content hole. We are in the void. Training camp is still a couple weeks away. The draft was over. I said, what the fuck do you guys want us to talk about? And, And the resounding winner was bringing back the worst Bears tournament, which we obviously did. Done. Um, absolutely. And then the number two was we had a couple requests for uh, what we are calling Start Kyle Orton, The Lost Years. Because those of you who were with us the first time, we've, we've, men- we've mentioned it, you know, maybe some of you are new, so maybe some of you are new just in the last couple episodes and you didn't know the history of this podcast but we used to be a group of guys back when we were in college grad school uh before we had kids and got boring um we recorded this podcast the first time uh back in at the started at the very end of the lovey smith era and, and ran it up until the middle the the middle of 2014 when mark tressman kind of crushed our will to live uh and then and then the podcast and and the blog that accompanied it uh, went dark for a while and we did we did start watching we did get back into the bears i did post the occasional blogger two, uh starting in 2018 i did post you know I, I did start tweeting about the bears again but we didn't bring the podcast back until this year so there is a there's a content hole in our podcast between version 1.0 and version 2.0 uh covering october 2014 to, to this january and so some people wanted to know, like, you, you guys are the only Bears fans we trust. You're the smartest Bears fans alive. Uh, I don't know what to think unless you tell me. Um, we want to know what you thought about those dark years. And I was like, you know what? That's good. We should, we should give the people what they want. So we're going to try to recap briefly some key topics we missed from the last decade of Bears football. Uh, we're going to try to represent how we accurately felt about them at the time without the benefit of hindsight and then we'll talk a little bit about the hindsight so yeah so it's it's the lost years travis did 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 they feel lost to you i mean we were only busy like raising our children and having huge family milestones and and boring stuff like that but we weren't giving the people bears content and they 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 hate us for it so important to note there yeah it was a confluence of events it was both (laughs) that the bears had crushed our will to to watch football and that uh both of us were going to have progenies at the same time you you had uh, you had your you had your daughter in uh well your wife had your daughter if god knows if your wife ever (laughs) listens to this podcast katie i am not at all implying that travis delivered that baby i know that was all your hard work um yeah, you, had, you you guys had a kid in August of 2014. So even those first those last few episodes you were you were struggling with it and we had we had our first kid in in 2015. So yeah, there was a lot going on. Uh, and Eric our sometimes co-host, he had, currently has the youngest child of the three of us, so that's part of why he is still sort of in that content black hole as well where he's like, "You expect me to know players who aren't on the bears i don't even know the players who are currently on the bears for the most part i will react right. to the sundays as they happen but until you until then i do not have time to read a roster so uh yeah so we, we did have life stuff going on but now it's time to talk and it's not like the bears god knows it's not like the bears were fucking worth talking about in a positive way during that time but they were still they still did some things worth talking about so let's let's give the people our take so we're going back in the time machine uh, we are going back. I believe the last podcast we ever recorded for the original Star Kyle Orton was, I believe, after the 2014 Bears uh, lost to the Dolphins. I remember being so mad at Mark Tressman and his game plan for that game. Uh, it was just so cowardly. It was it was such a Mark Tressman game plan. The Dolphins were renowned for having a good. The Dolphins had a pretty good run defense that year. Um, and so Mark Tressman just naturally just immediately turtled, made no attempt to use Matt Forte at all early on in that game. Um, and I remember as he was wont to do that second year, he was so scared of Jay Cutler blowing the game for him that he refused to just let Jay do anything. Everything was a wide receiver screen. It was just a that, that, if you if I have to remember saying anything about the Mark Tressman, if I if I were asked to remember Mark Tressman as anything, it is that I remember that man as a coward. I, I, I said sure. this before. 
I said this before, but I knew the the moment that I, I got some real bad inklings about how that second year of Mark Tressman was going to go was when someone asked him in training camp in 2014. They said, what is your goal for Jay Cutler this year? And the thing that he said was, I want him, I believe it was 68. I believe, I, I believe he said, I want him to complete 68% of his passes. And I told you at the time, I was like, I don't like that quote. I don't. Because if an offensive coordinator, completion percentage, here's the thing about completion percentage. Does it matter? Of course. You don't, I mean, it's 2023. If you've got a guy with a completion percentage in the 50s, that's probably not a good thing, however you slice it. But at the same time, completion percentage will always be a byproduct of your offense. It should never be the end game. If you are aiming for a 68% completion percentage instead of, I don't know, call me crazy. I like my offensive coordinators to think in terms of scoring points. But if you are if you are coaching to completion percentage, you'll get there, or you, you'll try, and the result is going to be exactly what we saw in 2014. We, we saw all of those fantastic deep balls to Marshall and Jeffrey that had characterized the 2013 offensive explosion. We saw them disappear. Um, he attempted to make Jay more efficient by by having him throw a lot more short passes, a lot more screens, but really... With Jay Cutler, I mean, he's Jay's going to throw his interceptions no matter what you ask him to do. The, the The only thing you can do is is hope he mitigates them by letting him try to make big plays. And if you don't let him make the big plays, you're just you're asking for a lot of really bad, really short interceptions. And so that was when I was I was first worried about Mark Tressman entering year two. And then so yeah, we were the last episode we recorded was that Dolphins game. I just remember I it, it said everything that I I had come to believe about that guy. I was so sick of it. And it's so funny when I look back at that now that I think that game only dropped them to like three and four on that season. Like the wheels haven't even completely fell, fallen off. But all three of us were like, we see where this, we, we know where this is going and it's not good. This was, uh, so yeah, I mean, to start with, I, I don't know how far back we should go, but like one of the, one of the last few episodes of the podcast was me being nuclear fucking angry about, hiring Marques Tressman that was uh, pissed off about it from the very beginning. I mean, that was one of the last ones. That was one of the... I mean, we, we did it. We oh, did all of uh, Yeah. For 2014. Right. No, but right. it's true. But, you, were, you were the one sitting there going like, okay, hear me out, guys. Bruce Arians was the coach of the year. Just, and he, uh, was, he was just sitting there. We could have just... We could have just done that. Well, and also... Uh, I mean, we know now what we knew then, which is that Bruce Arians would have been the perfect head coach for Jay Cutler. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, like, Jay Cutler was basically a Bruce Arians quarterback, it's, and that we never got to see those two together. It's it is. But I'll tell you this. I remember the game that I gave up on it. It was two games prior to the Dolphins game. It was the Panthers game. The Bears went up 21-7, to and I was like, God, we are rolling. It feels like that first year... Uh, under Tressman, like maybe he can actually figure it out. Maybe he's not this massive coward that he's shown, you know, so far this season. And even honestly, in the first season, he did show that he was a bit of a coward, but you know, still had that hope. Maybe he's going to turn the corner. Maybe he's getting more confident. And for the rest of that game, he fucking turtled. He turtled so hard. He He gave up on scoring and we ended up losing 31 to 24. It was so funny because you you actually pointed this out early on when I was trying to be an optimist about Tressman because I was like, well, if you look at his offenses here, here, and here, and here, he sh- they showed real improvement when he came on board. And I was like, and he's shown that he can adapt his offense this way and he can adapt his offense that way. And you were like, look at year two. Look at year two everywhere he has ever coached. Absolutely and uncanny. He, it was it's, it's so funny because it was like, it, it, he must have done this everywhere he ever went. The minute that people sort of figure that guy out, the minute that he gets pushed in any way, it's clear that he just collapses and that he is not up to the moment. And I will never forget, I mean, so many, the, the way they flailed just at the end of that administration, the story about Aaron Cromer leaking to the media that Jay Cutler was the problem and then getting caught for it and then like sobbing Uh, to the team as he confessed that as Jay Cutler just like made a Jay Cutler face in response. I mean, can you imagine Jay's face as Aaron Cromer is sobbing 
and confessing yeah. <laughs> to the team. Like, it's hard to remember person. another time where I've been more disappointed in myself for being a fan of the Bears than, than that was, season, right? It was just the... I mean, it was well. It was the Phil Emery era, in a nutshell, because we both of us really liked Phil originally, and I and if did. if Phil had been the guy that he talked about himself being, it, because everything he said was was so right. He was an early adopter of analytics. He talked about building pass protection from the inside out. That first year that he was, or that in 2013, that first Tressman year. They really did a good job rebuilding that entire offensive line on the fly. It's still one of the better offensive lines the Bears have had. They um, did. I think it's lost in the shuffle, but that's probably he, the best line we've had he in the drafted, last decade. He drafted Alshon Jeffrey. I mean, he. But any, but he, and he drafted Kyle Fuller. He drafted Kyle Long. He, he, but the, Phil Emery always talked about this great team, especially on defense. He talked about drafting these athletes and having schemes that were multiple and changing looks and adapting to the modern NFL off. And all of that sounded so good. And then in, in reality, they're hiring Mel, Mel Tucker, but telling him he has to run Rod Marinelli's playbook, which he doesn't even know. Lance Briggs is sitting there in training camp teaching the coaching staff to how to call this defense. Meanwhile, Julius Peppers is looking around going, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm too old for this shit. I am not fucking around with this weirdo. Uh, it's just such a flawed process. This guy who, uh, again, just just had the seemed to have the right ideas, but much like Tressman himself, I mean, they both seemed to they they lacked the will to implement their big ideas. They couldn't commit to their big ideas. They they turtled, um, and then you know just to really cap it all off, they when Jay in what would other advice have been a lost season when Jay was still this close to erasing that one fluke Eric Kramer season from the Bears record books, just so we wouldn't have to hear about that season anymore, when Jay was so close to being the Bears' first 4,000-yard passer, their first 30-touchdown passer, the motherfucker had to bench him for Jimmy Clausen. Just... Yep. Don't you want to... I mean, don't you don't you wish that you could have been in the room when Mark Tressman and, and his staff were talking, and they were like, how do we save our jobs here how do we demonstrate that we are not the problem we we play jimmy clausen and if he perfectly executes my tunnel screens yeah then they will see that it's never been my fault like that man that was a thought process that an actual human being paid money to coach an nfl football team had we have a pretty incredible history uh, with head coaches foretelling their end by just panic switching quarterbacks. Like mm-hmm. just the second they do it, it's like, oh, that guy's getting fired at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. The the only guy for whom that was not true uh, was was Jay with Lovey, where we just kind of like just had to get rid of him, you know. But everybody else, it's like, oh, they switched a quarterback mid season. That's yeah. it. That's truly it. I mean. So, I mean, we have, you and I are, we both started watching during the Wanset era. We yep. remember Rick Meyer. I remember him a little better than you do, but I remember Rick Meyer. Um, I always thought to myself it could never get worse than Rick Meyer and, and the end of the Wanset era. But mm-hmm. I think, I, I actually, I do think... 2014, I do think that was when it got worse. I think that was the lowest point. And Bear Phantom, just because, I mean, it was, when 2014, when it all collapsed, like, there was, there was no exit strategy. There was none. It was like, they, they can't quite get out of the Cutler contract yet. You can't just, they don't have a high, they don't have a top draft pick to draft a quarterback anyways. The defense is in shambles. It's 50, everybody's 50 years old. That they weren't even, I, I remember they hired John Fox, and I mean, we were never excited about a John Fox hire, but that was also, if I, I mean, that was like a brutal year for even hiring head coaches. There was not even a head coach, like the best candidate that they theoretically could have hired was the guy who ended up being their offensive coordinator for a year and anyways, and Adam Gase, and obviously when you're looking at Adam Gase as the guy who was the hottest head coach in Canada at the time, knowing what has become of his career as a coach, like, it's just, there was, you couldn't even... I have talked myself into a lot of Bears football teams. I could not talk myself into an entire era of Bears football after, in 2014. I was like, I don't see 
I mean, I think I said, I was like, I don't see how this team is good again in the next three to four years. I don't see how it happens. I don't see their exit strategy. I mean, I mean, the Bears are coming off the number one overall pick. Only time that's happened in our lives. And neither of us is upset about it. We are excited for the future. There's so much more potential. You can see right. the arrow potentially pointing up right now in a way that you couldn't even dream of in 2014. So I do think, I mean, was that, do you think that was the worst that it ever got? No, no. But, no, no. and... and uh, this is a good segue into our next period in Bears history. The The thing is, you remember this is the worst part in Bears history because you, my friend, made the intelligent decision not to watch football in 2016, I believe it was, the second John Fox year, the last Jay Cutler year, the year before we drafted uh, Mitch and had him as a rookie. That was the worst year of Bears football I have ever seen in my life, without a doubt. It was just such a... Well, I mean, the John Fox hire was just so... It was... Uh, well, let's let's call it like it is. Back when I did my epic rant about Mark Tressman, one of the things that I said was, one of the worst parts about this hire is that when this fails, because he's an idiot, because he has failed everywhere he's been, the next thing they'll do is hire the exact opposite of him, which will be a retread, defensive-minded football coach. And it's going to be... So, actually, to me, I was like, we're losing at least six years of Bears right here. I'm, I'm laughing my ass off because, I mean, I wish the... I wish all of our old podcasts were still around somewhere because... I, I mean, know. It truly is Travis's crowning moment of awesome. That man laid out so perfectly the next five years of Bears football the minute they hired Mark Tressman. And I was like, hey, it could work out. Come on. And he... It, we're not doomed. That was like, you, well, your, your thing was yeah, like, it's not were, necessarily the worst thing that's ever yeah, happened. I was like, no. Like, well, it was funny because you were like, you were like, well, here's what's going to happen. In year one, the offense will probably get better. Maybe the defense will hold on. He's like... In year two, it's going to be a disaster. In year three, they probably fired him. So you were off a little bit because they fired him. In I was two. off, yeah, because I thought they were going to fire him mid-year three. Like, and then they will immediately pivot back to the most loveyish head coach they will have. They will repudiate the very idea of offensive football again for another generation. This is a dark, just your full Dewey Cox. You were like, God damn it, this is a dark fucking period. <laughs> And then it happened. And then for some reason, I still watched the fucking games. I... That was the funniest thing, because I was the one that was the optimist then. And then 2014 just punched me right in the dick. And I was like, all right, I'm out. I will come back when they when they have a, a coach at, at, and when they have a quarterback, maybe. And you were like, you're, just, you're not going to watch the Bears? And I was like, is there anything left to watch? Haven't I already seen this movie? If I saw Dick Duran, must I watch John Fox? I feel very strongly they're the same thing. They were um, the exact same person. They were the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got called a bandwagon fan for that once. I was like, I was like, I didn't, I just didn't watch the Bears for a couple years there, and they were like, "Oh, so you're a bandwagon fan?" And I was like, "Listen here, motherfucker, okay, you son of a bitch." <laughs> I have every pass attempt that Jonathan Quinn ever threw seared into my brain. Never stopped watching. I watched Rick Meyer. I was there on draft day when they didn't draft Dante Culpepper and they took Cade McNown. I watched the, I, I watched them lose the Super Bowl. I didn't switch to a different team. I said, I have a newborn baby. I am not letting the Bears ruin my Sunday until I, I can at least give myself hope that they can crush. Mm-hmm. Um, you made so, the yeah, right call. I would text you, like, can you believe this shit about a game? And you would send me, no, I can't. And it would be like a picture of you out at a pumpkin patch with your family. Yes. And I'd be like, yes. I what the fuck am I doing here? My wife and kid. Um, <laughs> I'm not fortunate I'm not doing that anymore. I mean, we, yeah, my, Sundays are, yeah, my Sundays are back to this. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was just. We're not both just, doing this only when all of our it, family is asleep at night. <laughs> yeah, and it just it felt like. Uh, and the other thing with, with, with John Fox, too, is it, it was another case where the Bears... So the Bears hired Ryan Pace, which is its own thing. Um, but then they, they forced John Fox on him, is the story. Like, they were like, you're a young kid, you have no experience, we want you to be our general manager, but we want this veteran head coach yep. to guide you. And that's just... If you are hiring a guy to general manage your football team, you are hiring a guy to general manage your football team. Let him pick his fucking guy. That mm-hmm. we, 
at almost no point in, in in the last God knows how many years to have the Bears had the general manager who hired the coach and the two of them together picked the quarterback. Somebody's always inheriting somebody's mess. Emery couldn't fire Lovey for a year. Angelo couldn't fire Jerron for three years. He, he was going to fire him after the first season, and then, you know, they had that fluke 13-3 and three season. He couldn't get rid of him. And then Pace was handed Fox. He couldn't hire his own head coach until he hired Nagy. It's just, the, and then, I mean, even now, I'm still not 100% convinced that, I mean, I know we've been sold the story. I'm still not 100% convinced that Ryan Poles picked Matt Eberflus. I'm really not. Because they, 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 they narrowed down, they interviewed coaches and GMs at the head time, and they gave Ryan Poles, you know, a hand-picked list of finalists. But obviously, I mean, Matt Eberflus, I think, was ownership's favorite, was Ted Phillips' favorite. I, I still don't, I'm not 100% convinced that Eberflus was Poles' guy. And to be, and I also, I mean, Justin Fields was obviously not their quarterback. Yeah, and, and it's last not their quarterback. Last year showed that they were not going to stake their first year to salvaging Justin Fields. They were going to see if he was worth building. Now, I think you can officially, at this point, I think you can classify Justin Fields pretty much as Ryan Poles' quarterback. He has essentially made that pick because he could have, as we talked about, he could have decided on Bryce Young. He could have decided on any of these other guys. He made his pick, and it was Justin Fields. So I think you can say you know Justin Fields is his guy now. But yeah, the, the, that marriage has, they've very rarely gotten those three elements meshed together at the right time. And, and you know, that was Fox being forced on pace. And and then that ends up having real, you know, and that, has, that ends up having real consequences because, um, you know, the Mitch Trubisky thing happens. They take Mitch Trubisky. They don't even tell John Fox they're taking Mitch Trubisky because the GM has that much disregard for his own coach. At yep. that point, he cares like that little bit. Thinks for his yeah. coach, right? Yeah, and then Fox is in no way inclined whatsoever to try to help Mitch develop in any way. I mean, it was like it, it's so funny. This the story that horrified me was reading one time that uh, John Fox had never really developed a rookie quarterback before, and so for advice on how you mentor <clears throat> a young quarterback, he. He called his buddy. Did I ever tell you who he called, Travis? Do you know who he called? I have not heard this, no. Oh, this is good. For advice on mentoring and growing a young quarterback, he called his buddy Jeff Fisher. Jeff. <laughs> of course. Because, of course, those two would be buddies. Like, there's well, just... and, of course, and, of course, the guy who, in my opinion, is the, is the poster boy for not developing Easily. Easily the worst quarterback developer in the history of the NFL. This man, that man wouldn't let Steve McNair throw the ball until like year seven of his career. And for some reason he's remembered as, like, Steve Young, I mean, Steve McNair could play from like year two. His statistics, when he got to play early on, were already fine. The guy could play. He was just unnecessarily stuck behind Chris Chandler or whatever, or Neil O'Donnell for fucking ever, because Jeff Fisher did not believe the kid could handle it. And then... Because Jeff Fisher, Jeff Fisher might be a little little, bit racist. Well, yeah, and then you have, and then you have Vince Young, of course, who Jeff Fisher like went out of his way to ruin. And I don't know if if Vince Young could have been great. I will say, I still think Vince Young is maybe the greatest college football player I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to see if I could if I could see a quarterback brought from the past into today's era and given like a real chance with a real coaching staff, Vince might be one on that short list. I would love to see, like if you put Vince Young with the Philadelphia Eagles coaching staff or um, Shane Steichen in Indianapolis who just developed Jalen Hurts and now is going to develop Anthony Richardson. If you could give Vince Young to that guy, wouldn't you like to see how that works out? If Um, he's coming right out of college, definitely. You know, in the later years... You know when he when he was a backup oh, was, and he got a second chance, he yeah, had he was too just, much cheesecake factory. Yeah, he, he was kind of done. But yeah, they really yeah they destroyed that kid. But yeah, so no, he asked Jeff Fisher for advice, which is just I mean like we saw how that turned out. Reaching out to John Benet Ramsey's parents for parenting advice. Like, and now to be fair, uh, that lines up pretty well because I mean if we want well, to John Fox that year absolutely. With Mitch, John Holy Fox absolutely shit. he took the Mitch he did he took the Jeff Fisher approach. Mitch was not allowed to do. Shit! They, was, like he did nothing that entire season. The most, the most useless developmental year 
ever. Just, I mean, he had what? He had... Maybe the only time in history where I've seen uh, a rookie quarterback get a year, you know, in a system, and I thought, like, maybe they should have just left him on the bench if this is all they were going to do. I mean, they had that game against the they had that game against the Panthers where they let him throw seven passes. Yep, seven, <laughs> seven. I... Yeah, in his first, in in it starts two and three. Of his career, he threw a grand to- a total of twenty three passes. Just and and I mean and like we talked about this a little bit uh, last week. I think I said it, part of that was I mean we would learn later. Um, and uh, oh god, who was the Doel Doel Loggins has admitted basically like, look, we saw the kid in camp. We knew he couldn't throw deep accurately to save his life. We were we were genuinely trying to protect the kid a little bit too. But again. And we talked about this with, we'll talk about this a little bit here, with Fields and Nagy. Just, I very much believe that you do not teach a young quarterback anything by not letting them throw the ball. I just don't. I, I yeah. just, it's, it's, a, it's wasted. The, the reps are useless. It's, it's wasted development. Um, to me, the best way to develop a rookie quarterback is what the Patriots did with Mac Jones, which is, I mean, you let him throw the ball 30 times a game. You just give him thirty easy passes a game. You you don't yep. don't let the kid only throw when it's third and nine. Don't run it on first and ten, second and ten. Throw on third and nine. Throw it on first and ten. If he gets four yards, great. That's four yards. Throw it on second and six. Cool. If he gets four yards, that's four yards. Boom. It's third and two. Then you run the damn ball. Just let whatever you can do to keep the kid throw the ball to keep the kid out of situations where he has to throw the ball is always what I think you should do with a young quarterback. And then and. and Fox with Mitch and and um, Nagy later with Fields would do the exact opposite. The, the same thing Ron Turner kind of did with our patron St. Kyle Orton as a rookie in 2005. And I remember 2005 being mad at people when they would praise yeah. Ron Turner for handling like, Oh, he's done such a great job handling Kyle He's done a terrible job handling Kyle Orton. <laughs> the kid only ever throws on third and nine. He gets murdered yeah. every time he tries. Let him throw the ball on first and ten sometimes. Tell him to check it down if it's not there. Just for the – keep him out – throw to keep him out of having to throw. That's what you should do. Just let him play the game on easy mode a little bit. But, yeah, I mean – so we didn't get to talk about it on a pod, but, I mean, it's still baffling to this day to me. Why was John Fox still the head coach? I Yeah, I do not understand. Year? I do not understand why – All the reason so, in the world to fire him after yeah, I mean, his yeah, second year. I mean, you, you scout. If you're drafting a quarterback, you are scouting that kid during the regular season. That's not a decision that you make as an organization in January. Sure. I mean, and Ryan Pace told well, the story. It might have been in this yeah. case. Well, no, I mean, Ryan Pace tells the story. He was well, he fell in love with Mitch sometime in 2016, watching a North Carolina game or whatever. Like, yep. if you know before the regular season is over that you're taking a quarterback, if you even are are that confident that you have your guy that you're going to take and you know that the coach you have is not the coach you want coaching him, get him the fuck out of there. Get him out of there. I mean, at the time we had speculated like, okay, well, we're going to have a bad season here. So is the idea to scuff this season? Yeah. And taint their hand-picked guy next year with a losing season the first year and then to get him to ride on the coattails of the second season of a rookie. And look, it. It worked out that way. It did. It did yeah. not continue apace, but it did work out that way for Nagy in his first year, I guess. Yeah. So I guess now we we are we are officially into probably the most notable subject of the lost years, which is just I mean not even just the coach. It's Mitch Trubisky. It is. So I mean, let's talk about the flawed process of drafting Mitch Trubisky because I mean we are not. Do we want to talk about how, like, what our discussions were for that draft? Yeah, I mean, because I, I feel like people are like, hindsight's twenty twenty. I was at a, I met a Bears DM on Twitter of guys that I love very much, and someone, one of them said earlier, like, well, mo- all of us thought Mitch was going to be good. And I was like, eh, I didn't want to start a fight, but I was like, eh, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, I don't have, my, my Twitter account at the time has been nuked, so I don't have my tweets at the time, but I mean... I, I do have some Facebook posts from then, and I, I distinctly remember you and me both saying, oh my god, they drafted Blake Bortles. It was Why? Bortles. Arkhamf immediately, the second that he appeared on... 
way before the draft. During the college the football season. Happen. We were we were sitting there and they were like, look, there there there's Patrick Mahomes, there's Deshaun Watson. And neither no, here's where we won't take hindsight. Neither of us right. wanted Patrick Mahomes no. over over well now I think both of us had Patrick Mahomes over Trubisky still. Yes. But neither of us was sitting there saying they should take Patrick Mahomes. And obviously Deshaun Watson would have been the wrong pick for a very different reason. But it doesn't change the fact that unless unless that evidence of that behavior popped up during the draft process and no one has ever come forth and said it did. All we know is that Ryan Pace uh well it sounds like Watson was actually Pace's third QB. He did have like to them it came down to Mitch versus Mahomes. They uh, were Mahomes' dad I mean they were going on potential, were, right? Yeah, Mahomes' dad said that they uh Mahomes' dad said that they told him that they were gonna take Mahomes the Bears told him they were gonna take Pat. Um but yeah, I mean the, the the process was so flawed. I mean when they when they defended taking Mitch, I was kind of like, please tell me there's like an analytical argument. Tell me what it is that you are seeing in this guy that I am not. What is your argument? And right. it all came down to just the worst possible reasons that there are for taking a guy. Ryan Pace talked about intangibles. He mentioned the fucking beat up Toyota Camry. He talked mm-hmm. about the Mike Ditka dinner reservation. Um, he talked about just, just the, he, he clearly saw in Mitch, he was trying to, to reverse engineer a Drew Brees cause that's what he had seen. And, and he, he thought that like pinpoint accuracy is, is what it is, which is so funny to associate with Trubisky in hindsight. But, um, yeah, but yeah, it was just, it was such a flawed process. We saw the same thing happen with Zach Wilson going ahead of other better quarterbacks a few years later. Just, I mean, a guy that that runs a fairly easy schedule for a mid-tier ACC team and was garbage in a few of the games he did play. I mean, God, he was, uh, was it the Wake Forest, Virginia Tech? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you are going to take a chance on a guy like that on a Bortles, you really want them to be dominating their right. competition. Uh, yeah, okay, so... Yeah, Virginia Tech that year, Mitch was 13 of 33 for 58 yards and two interceptions. Nailed it. I mean, it, and yeah, in the future we would talk about it with Zach Wilson. He played one hard game that entire season, and he got his ass kicked. Yeah, I think I, I, think I looked it up one time, and he, he, played, he only played like two top 50, not even like yeah. top 20, top 10, two top 50 defenses that year in Virginia Tech and Georgia, and they both just absolutely eviscerated him. Just, yep. Yeah, and, and Stanford, too. He was terrible in the bowl game uh, against Stanford. He was 23 of 39. He had two interceptions. Um, took a lot of sacks. Just, yeah. But yeah, so so throughout the season, we weren't sure the Bears were going to draft a quarterback, but I think, like, we started calling Mitch ACC Bortles, like, in October. I yeah. think oh, it was yeah. like, this guy, oh, he's going to rock it up draft boards. Someone's going to take a bet on this white guy, I bet, because they're going to get tired of Deshaun Watson because he's been too successful for too long. Uh, and Pat Mahomes, at the time we were talking about, he's a big bet on potential. But if you whiff, he's going to suck. If you nail it, he's going to be great. Um, and sh- some unlucky jerk is going to take Bortles again. And man, like going into the draft, the word was the Bears don't even want a quarterback. The Bears wanted a maybe a safety. Maybe they wanted a defensive end. Well, when they, they, first were, they weren't even going to take a quarterback. I mean, if you watch the ESPN clip from when he was drafted... Uh, Everyone assumes when they make the trade up, it's to secure Solomon Thomas. Yep, they thought it was Solomon Thomas. Yeah, that's... which would have also been a bad, a bad pick. Would have, but... <laughs> would have been a bad pick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So no, I mean, this is not hindsight for us. Neither one of us was a fan of Mitch. When I watched Mitch in college, I saw the same things that would end up frustrating me in the NFL. I cannot stand the way that guy bounces back. On his back feet, he's just one of the worst, just pure aesthetics, he's one of the worst throwers of the football I've ever watched. I hate the yes. way he takes his dropbacks. I hate the way he bounces the pocket. I hate the way he doesn't step into throws. Um, his mechanics were, were so wonky. He had he had a bad he had bad deep ball accuracy in college, and it never got better in the NFL. He, did, he was and has been in the NFL very accurate on short passes to this stage in his career, more accurate on short passes even than Fields has been, for sure. I'll give him that. Um, and Mitch, if Mitch is throwing it short and, and if he's not really making a read and he's just firing to the guy that he's supposed to fire, he looks like a, 
he looks like a good quarterback, and then it's 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 anything past that where things I, start to go fuzzy. I mean, we're going to talk about it here in a bit, but brainless Mitch was always the best Mitch. When what? Mitch didn't wasn't thinking about where is the play going to go, where do I need to throw it, where is my receiver going to be, that Mitch, that was the best version of Mitch we ever saw, was when he yeah. wasn't thinking, when he was just drawing a play up in the sand and whipping it to a guy. Every other time, though, I, he he just buckled under the straight. Yeah. But before we get to that, he had one very good season. He did. And that was obviously it was in 2018 when Matt Nagy comes in. Um, I remember, I wouldn't say I was opposed to the Matt Nagy hire when it happened. I thought it made sense. You and I both, I think... We before, didn't know the full picture at the time. No, but we. I think we both said this is a fine hire. I think we both would have preferred Frank Reich um, for very different reasons. My yeah. argument was that Frank Reich... Uh, had just shepherded the Eagles offense and done a lot of stuff with Nick Foles and Carson Wentz, who were two very different quarterbacks, in my opinion. And I liked a guy who had shown that kind of versatility. Your argument was that Frank Reich was a member of the early 90s Buffalo Bills, who are still one of your favorite teams of all time. <laughs> I was uh, wondering where you were going with And that. you love all I can't of them. Believe- I can't uh, believe you, you remember my love if the of Bears, the 90s Bills. If, if the Bears interviewed Thurman Thomas for anything, you would be like, they should just make <laughs> oh, him team right. president. So, uh, right. Now, now I, I, that was very funny. But yes, I, <laughs> I also really liked Frank Reich. No, I, yeah, I, I do remember us both. Well, I remember both of us being kind of confused because Frank Reich, was, Frank Reich was, was an afterthought. He was the guy that the Colts had to hire after Josh McDaniels backed out. And them. we were both like, God, we they're just the last back yeah, the, the best coach we could have hired. hired. Yeah, we both wanted Frank Reich. And, and I'm sure people listen like, this is such bullshit. You guys are so full of it. And, and, but we both we both liked Frank Reich. And again, we did not dislike the Matt Nagy hiring. I think that is still the happiest at on the day of, that is still the happiest I have ever been with a Bears coaching hire. I was the most optimistic about Nagy. At yeah. the same time, I do remember being like, I don't love hiring an offensive play caller who has only called plays for like six games, and and Andy Reid, the kept, Andy Reid tree right. has not born a he lot of fruit. plays. Yeah, he did call plays. He did call some plays, and of course later on we would learn that was some stuff that Andy Reid said, so he would get hired. That yeah. is not true. He never called plays for the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, exactly, absolutely. Well, I mean, it sounds like he was. And it's, it sounds like this is his role in Kansas City still. He is part of a committee that sometimes decides what plays they might like to run, but Andy Reid ultimately makes the final decision on all that and always will. Um, and, I mean, that really gets into the things I would say about Matt Nagy is I, I think, I do believe, and because he's going to get to be Patrick Mahomes' offensive coordinator, maybe in a couple years he might be Patrick Mahomes' head coach because I could totally see Andy Reid retiring and, and naming Nagy his successor. And I mean, and when that happens, folks, he's going to be successful. He's going to be successful because you'll have Patrick Mahomes. Um, and if you have Patrick Mahomes, you're going to be successful. But also, I think Matt Nagy is the exact kind of guy that I really do think, if he can fix a few things, will become a successful second-time head coach. Because I do believe... The stuff about his players, for the most part, obviously he and Mitch had a feud in later years, and obviously Allen Robinson eventually got pretty fed up with how he was being used by this staff. Um, But I do think that the love that his players tended to show him, especially in those first two, three years, very true. I think he, I think it sounds like a decent human being. Um, And You can see it in the way it was expressed on the field, right? All the stuff we saw in that first season, the fun, the defensive players scoring touchdowns at the goal line. Uh, I mean, it felt like almost a a college football atmosphere on the sidelines. Just got, everybody was in love with each other. Everybody was happy. Um, And that all went away in that second year. And you look back at it and you say, well, it's because he realized that he's never going to be able to do the things he wanted to do with Mitch's quarterback. But he's never going to be able to get away from Mitch as his quarterback. So yeah. we did. I mean, I'm well, not. I'm, I'm not going to defend Nagy completely here. Obviously, we got a lot of gripes with Matt Nagy. Yeah. But if the guy had picked his own quarterback, you well, could and, see a world in which this is very different, in which a well, lot and, of seasons look like 2018. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think the other thing is that it, when he becomes a head coach again, oh, when. He, 
Well, it's definitely happen. happening. You think it's I mean, happening for sure? He's, dude, he's, he's Patrick Mahomes' offensive coordinator now, and that's he's gonna he's two three years. Like I said, either he's gonna get a job after two or three years coaching Patrick Mahomes, or he's going to get that job. Andy Reid will retire. Who gets a first, uh, another head coach job first, Bieniemy or Nagy? <laughs> Which one well, of those guys ends up head coach? I bet it's Nagy, and unfortunately for all the wrong reasons. But um, yeah, right. but so, anyways, no, I think the thing I think Nagy has to the one thing that will haunt him if he does, or that will hurt him again if he can't learn to let go of it. He does have to let go of this idea of himself as an offensive guru. Um, yes. I think he was far better in the head coach role. Than he was in the offensive coordinator role. I think he needs to swallow the ego. He needs to put away the damn play sheet. Just focus on being a head coach. Let someone else call your plays, dude. He really does. Um, Easily yeah. the hardest part of of the later Nagy years was him saying, I will let go of this. I will stop calling yeah. plays. I'm going to let someone else call plays. I'm going to let laser call plays. Um, and then you would find out after the game. We would We were watching it during the games, and we would text each other. Oh, yeah, and you, you would see, see him on the sidelines with the goddamn card in front of his mouth. You'd be like, he's calling plays. Yeah, you, He's you calling can, plays again. We can all you, see it. You can tell when there would be an argument. Yeah, absolutely. No, and it's just, he's just got to learn to let that part go. Um, and then, I mean, so the I'm still actually kind of focusing more on the Mitch Trubisky side of things and the Matt Nagy things, because we will get into some of our gripes I'll about Nagy. We've come far too... So I think the ultimate thing with Nagy and Mitch is... I'm so tired of this debate uh, because it, some people still can't seem to let go of the, like, did Nagy fail Mitch or did Mitch fail Nagy? Sure. Um, and I think in in some ways they both failed each other. Um, but I don't think... Uh, I don't think there's a world where Mitch Trubisky ever becomes a great quarterback. Um I do think with the right quarterback, Matt Nagy could have been a pretty good head coach. Um, I know a lot of people say, well, he had Fields, and he got even worse. And I think part of that, I think his failure with Fields was a direct result of Mitch's failure, too. I think in year one, he kept things very simple for Mitch. Mitch succeeded within that. In year two, he tried to expand the offense. He tried to give Mitch the steering wheel a little bit, and Mitch immediately ditched the car. Um, there is, so a lot of people say the double doink broke Matt Nagy's brain. Um, and I don't think it was that. I think if you really want to see when Matt Nagy's brain was truly broken, you got to go to the, um, the San Diego Chargers game in 2019. There's a couple play sequence there when the Bears are leading in the fourth quarter. They have several opportunities to put it away. There's a perfect... Four verts play call. Taylor Gabriel gets matched up on a linebacker. He cooks him immediately. It's an easy touchdown. Mitch sails the throw over his head, as Mitch is wont to, was wont to do. After that, Nagy's so pissed. He's like, you know what? We're going to run Scat Hank, which is a, it's a high school play. It is literally, it's just, it's, it's, it is a couple hooks and a couple flats. There's There's literally nothing to it. He's trying to get a four-yard pass to the tight end. The tight end's open. Mitch looks right at the tight end. He freezes. He doesn't make a decision. He just stands there, controller disconnected. He lets Bosa, I can't even remember which Bosa is the charger at him, as our charger at the moment. Is it? Is it Joey? Is Joey the charger? Yeah, right? One of the, whichever one's the charger Bosa. <laughs> I wish I had a charger, lot more charger, confidence. Charger yeah. Bosa... Charger Bosa tackles Mitch. There's a stack strip, a fumble. Um, and there was another interception Mitch threw as well. Just, I mean, just a horrible bad read on a very basic play. Um, it's Joey. For, forced yeah. the ball in there. And that is, if you watch Matt Nagy through that sequence in that game, that is when his brain broke. Because after that, he never trusted Mitch Trubisky even slightly again. And if you look in the future, I mean... There are going to be times further down the road where we, we were like, you know, there's just no point to playing Mitch anymore. Like, just oh, just bench him, you know, bring in Foles or bring, bring in anybody else. And it wasn't the things that we thought it would be. It wasn't the interceptions. It wasn't, you know, missing on a short pass or freezing. It was missing a deep throw. It was overthrowing yeah, a wide open guy by five yards. And yeah, I mean, like, that's the hook. 
Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the thing that really, that where he finally pulled, benched Mitch in 2020 was when Mitch missed, I mean, again, it was Anthony Miller, but it was the same, the same basically four verbs concept that he missed Taylor Gabriel on against the Chargers that I just mentioned. He did it again against the Falcons, and Nagy was like, I cannot watch this happen one more fucking time. I'm done. He yeah. went to Foles. Foles ended up hitting the exact same pass for a touchdown for the game winner in that really game. felt like the nail in the, the coffin yeah, it, there. Did. it was not, but no, it I mean, Mitch, like... came, Mitch came back, he rolled against an easy schedule, blah, 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 but it was, um, yeah, I mean, so, so it's, I always, I do think, yes, there's a universe where maybe Nagy in 2019 goes a little more quickly to the laser style or the McVeigh style wide zone heavy boot, all things play action, make it as easy for Mitch as possible, nothing but half-field reads. And does that make Mitch slightly more efficient? Yes. Does that help the 2019 Bears maybe eke out another win or two? Yes. Long-term, does that change the direction of the franchise? No. It, it just entre- If anything, it just entrenches them even longer with a quarterback who was never going to be great in Mitch. I don't think there's any version of Mitch Trubisky's career, regardless of who the head coach is, though, Matt Nagy or him else, where he succeeds either is the thing. So, I mean, do I think either of them helped the other out? No. I think there are probably better coaches out there for Mitch Trubisky. Is there a coach on earth who could have fixed him? No. I, I, I firmly believe that. Is there a quarterback out there who Matt Nagy can succeed with? Yes. I honestly think if maybe if if the Bears roster had been in better shape, if their offensive line had been in better shape, I think Matt Nagy maybe could have gotten enough out of Justin Fields to stick around and, and eventually be a pretty good quarterback for him because I do think the things Matt Nagy... If he had started him yeah, right he from the beginning right, and yeah, if he had trusted him. Yes, and now we're going to transition into the bad things about Matt Nagy and what sealed his fate. But like I do think... Uh, and we, we do owe Matt Nagy for Justin Fields. I've heard that from multiple sources. It wasn't really Ryan Pace who was pounding the table for Justin Fields. It was Matt Nagy all along. And if you watch Matt Nagy's career as a play caller and you see the kind of things that he wants to do, you see why he likes Justin Fields. And it's not even... And yes, he underutilized Justin Fields as a runner, no doubt. And that was a huge error, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But you can see that, that Matt Nagy was not looking at Justin Fields as a runner when he drafted him. He was looking at Justin Fields, the passer, and what he was seeing was all of those deep balls that Mitch missed. He was seeing Justin nailing them over and over and over. He was seeing Justin just killing people on Y cross and staples like that that Nagy loves to run. Um, Nagy very much. I, he's never had he never had the quarterback to do it, and he had his own play calling ills. But Nagy very much is a guy who, uh, and you see it when he does coach the Chiefs, and he has Mahomes. He likes to beat the defense deep until they give him the short stuff. He does not like to beat you with the short stuff and then try to pop one over the top. He is going to, he's going to, in an ideal world, he wants to to get the big play on you over and over and over until you back up and give him all of the stuff underneath and then he's got your number. Uh, And I think in an ideal world, that's the Justin Fields game plan too. So there is a world where I think eventually with better talent and if Nagy himself had been willing to trust a little bit more, uh, I, I think that could have worked out, but yeah, I yeah. mean that's that. that I guess one more, one more thing on on Nagy and Mitch. Yeah, for me, it absolutely. really, it very much felt like it was a vicious cycle between yes. those two. Where Nagy, after that first season, he wanted to see Mitch become that that great quarterback that he could coach, and when he instantly realized that was never going to happen, he had you know a real Sophie's choice at that point. Okay. I can stick with this year one offense, and I can get the most out of Mitch. I can scramble him all around. I can run play action constantly. I can—I mean, in that first season, he was doing a great job of all of these motion concepts that would show Mitch exactly what he needs to know before we snap the ball. That second year, we did a lot of what I like to call motion to nowhere, where you run a guy across and then back across, and everybody ends up the same way they are, and then the fullback runs out, and then and you're just like, what the fuck? You're just wasting fucking time. Um and, and I, he just kind of, he told Mitch, you have to run, and Mitch couldn't do it. So at that point, I think Nagy took the route of saying, 
I, it's going to be sink or swim for this kid because I don't want to keep being a head coach if I have to have this quarterback for the next yeah. 10 years. If I make him limp along to being a league average quarterback with this offense and I go, I keep going nine and seven or nine and eight now, you know? Um, and because of that, because he wasn't running an offense that was tailored to Mitch's strengths, Mitch failed worse than he would have. Otherwise, yeah. if he had continued to run those concepts he did in his second year and Nagy's first year, and it just spun around and around, and Mitch got angrier at, at Nagy. Nagy got angrier at Mitch. Yeah. We had the whole full situation. Yeah, speaking of one thing that, that kind of pissed me off. So after Nagy got fired and everything, um, Kevin Fishbane of The Athletic wrote an article. And I like Kevin Fishbane, but he wrote an article talking about the history of the Bears' dysfunction or whatever. It was a very good article. But the opening story was meant to be an anti-Matt Nagy story. Um, and it was talking about how it was, I believe it was that game against the Giants, I want to say, in 2020. It was like the second game of the year. Um, they ended up winning the game. But there was a play towards the end of the second half. Mitch got a completion for a first down on a play. He threw to Cole Komet, I think. And Nagy ripped him out, ripped him a new one in film session the next day because the concept, the read called for him to look at a deep route first. And the deep route was Allen Robinson. And if you watch the film, Allen Robinson comes open for like a 30 yard completion, maybe even a touchdown if Mitch goes there, but Mitch instead checked it down too quickly, went to commit. Um, and the story, the, the way the story was framed is everyone was like, you can't call out the quarterback like that. You can't call it. That, that's, I mean, and plus the, he got a first down on the play. They won the game. That's just blah, blah, blah. And and I, I, I read that story, and I still couldn't... Do you think if Justin Fields passed on a 40-yard completion to take an 11-yard first 11-yard check down, if he had a 40-yard completion, a big play there, and he just didn't see it, and he missed it, and do you think if a coach called him out in a meeting for that, do you think Justin Fields would bitch to the media about that? Do you think he'd be upset that he was called out for that? Or do you think Justin Fields would be like, you know what, you're right, coach. I should have made that throw. That was the yeah. read. I, that we, I, I left points on the board there. Do you think, I mean, and not even just Justin, do you think Peyton Manning gets upset if you, if you point out that, like, the read would have been a 40-yard gain if you just read it correctly and you settled for 11-yard? Do you think Tom Brady, do you think any great quarterback, the hyper-competitive, insane lot of them, do you think any of them gets mad about being told to say, hey, you had 40 yards here and you took 10? That's fucking quarterbacking. That's the job. That is the job. I mean, it's just poor framing, but it does. I mean, that story outlines exactly the issue yeah. between Mitch and Matt, right? Is it was yeah. the coach wants you to be better than you are. And Mitch is like, I'm only as good as I am. Yeah, I'm I sorry. Down, why, why are you mad? Because it's not the read. Yep. Because, because 11 yards is not as good as 40. Because a first down is not a touchdown. How do you not get this? So yeah, That's I mean right. not to not to defend Nagy too much, but like that story, the, that story being framed as an anti-Nagy story, and I've seen it in a couple different publications that ran with Kevin's article, just drove me insane because I was like, Nagy was one hundred percent right there. That was Mitch's fourth year in the league, and he's still doing that shit. You're still making, yep. you're still missing that read. You're still missing that throw. Well, and this is why. I, this is why there's you know you said. You don't think there's any world in which Mitch becomes a great quarterback, right? And, like, you know, we've seen guys who have ascended later in their careers have given enough opportunities. Mitch is definitely getting way too many opportunities at this point, right? Um, guys like Alex Smith, guys like Ryan Tannehill, who have hit that next level with enough experience. But the thing is, Mitch doesn't have what those guys have. He has maybe the worst football brain on a quarterback mm. I've ever seen. It doesn't matter how many times you show him a play, how many times you yeah. run the same concept. It doesn't make sense to him. And that's what we were talking about yeah. earlier. When he wasn't thinking, that's when things worked for Mitch. But yeah. the second he had to try to process a play, it was all over. Yeah. So we've been too nice to Nagy throughout this. I feel like there are Bears fans listening to this. For whom yeah, let's, Nagy roast Nagy. let's roast him. So uh, let's talk about a couple things he did not do well. Um, first of all, not having the balls to replace Parky before the double doink could even happen because it was obvious that like this man was not ready to be a kicker in the playoffs. Absolutely, it was, obviously it was going to happen. Um, and then that kicking competition in 2019 was the most embarrassing shit you've ever heard of, right? Like, you read the stories about that kicking competition in camp in 2019, and you were like, this is 
the most unhinged shit, and if this is what our coach is really doing with his time, if this is what he's worried about, we have big problems. And sure enough, we did. Like, that was just... that, And that, to me, was... That, to me, was also emblematic of why he did fail, because that is Nagy, the micromanager, coming out. If you are micromanaging kicking practice to that degree, and the Augusta silence and all that shit, like, that is... You are... I mean, in football, everyone always stresses how important it is in football to have a short memory for so many things. You have to move on from one mistake to the next. And that is the definition of a guy who does not have a short memory. That is a guy who was haunted by mistakes, who's haunted by bad play calls. Um, I mean, that's what it sounds like, too, towards the end of his tenure in 2021. I mean, George McCaskey tells the story about Nagy asking his opinion about starting Justin Fields and what he thinks. George House was like, I am very upset that you're even asking me like you i i'm not here for this is not my job i don't know anything about football i'm a mccaskey Um, the best thing to come out of the Nagy era was george mccaskey just being like i don't know what works i'm just gonna keep trying i'm not a football guy i just own the team yeah (laughs) nothing uh, yeah george house or george mccaskey just admitting that nothing could quite make him more afraid that he hired the wrong bears head coach than that guy valuing his opinion in any yeah. way. Like, don't fucking talk to me. Which, honest to, God, honest to God, I don't mean that in a mean way. That's incredible self-awareness from George. Like, to be able to... That was one thing that his late I brother, gained, Michael... I gained so much respect yeah, for I mean, George his, brother, when he said that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, his late brother, Michael, at one point, tried to be the fucking GM and everything else and yeah. didn't know shit about him. So the, the acknowledgement that, like, I know I'm not good at this is, is refreshing. Yeah. He's um, like, I'm relying on, I hired a search firm. I'm going to rely on them. I hired a GM so he could make these decisions. If it doesn't work, I'm going to try again. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I fucking love this guy. Yeah, I, I great, appreciate dude. that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, so wrapping it up, though, let's let's end with what Nagy's, the decision that, that ultimately doomed him for good. And, and it was sticking with Andy Dalton. It was QB1. As QB1, <laughs> not even letting it have the whiff. Of a competition. I mean, when did you know? When did you know the Matt Nagy era was over? Because I knew, I knew when exactly the Matt Nagy era was over. Because I had been, I had been optimistic up until this point. Because I said, yes, he's saying the QB one shit about Andy Dalton. But I found plenty of examples of people. I was like, the the year that the Lions took Stafford, they said that dumb shit about about I think um, Drew Stanton until or Dante Culpepper or whatever they said oh we're not gonna he's got our it's I mean, the, the Jaguars made Trevor Lawrence split reps with Gardner Minshew I mean it's the, very rarely does a team draft a guy and say like oh yeah he's obviously QB1 until he's earned it in camp but at the same time all of them have always let those guys actually earn it in camp it's very rare for a team to be looking at Andy Dalton versus Justin Fields and and say, yeah, we want to see what's behind the Andy Dalton door. Um, and so I gave up on Matt Nagy. I knew he was doomed. Uh, after that first preseason game against the Dolphins, Fields came out, he put on a show, he did everything in that first preseason game you could have asked him to do. Um, and everyone thought, okay, this is when the competition begins in earnest. He's going to give Justin Fields some reps with the ones now. By preseason game two, they'll split reps with the ones. By preseason game three, Fields is the starter. We've seen this. This is how it works with so many rookies throughout so many preseason. And the, that week of practice started and Fields did not get any reps with the ones. He didn't. He wasn't even open to it. He wouldn't broach the subject. He just stuck to his plan. And, and he could not articulate ever why that was the plan. And that was... That was it was not, there was no logic behind it. There was no, here are the 10 things I need to see from Justin before I declare him ready. There was nothing he said he needed to work on. It was so transparent that the only logic he was working on was, I was there when Patrick Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith and that worked. So this has to work. That has to be what it is. There's no possible way that Patrick Mahomes could have just, you know, been fucking Patrick Mahomes had he started as a rookie. And the inflexibility, and that was another thing where George Hall- or George McCaskey said he would ask Nagy. He'd be like, "Okay, the kid's not ready yet. Can you tell me what it is? Isn't ready? Can you tell me when he will be ready?" And Nagy couldn't even articulate it to him. Like there's just no ability to lead. Yeah, it was. I mean, you could tell at that point that. 
I mean, we we all kind of thought Nagy had a good chance of being fired uh, the off season prior, which is insane for a guy who, you know, uh, went twelve and four and then had an eight and eight season, right? But there was definitely talk that this guy could have been fired, and he wasn't. It felt like for all the world that all of his confidence was gone, and the only thing he could go back on was was just this saying, like you know, well, it's better for a rookie quarterback to sit than it is yeah. for him to play that. And he's like, I'm just going to go with it. And like you said, after that preseason game, you just could tell where he was like, this is the plan. Like, yeah, I'm he was not play Andy Dalton. When we signed Andy, we told him he was going to play yeah. and it's better for Justin. That's just he was... also before we get too far past this, if we want to talk about a gap in history, uh, can you imagine the podcasts we would have had in that tiny little bit of time where we signed Andy Dalton and we sent out the QB1 tweet. And before we drafted Justin Fields, which, remember, we were not in position to do at all Yeah, I was going to say, the only time that I think may have been more of the Nadir than the Tressman, that Tressman, that 2014 feeling, was that month in 2021 where you were honest to God, like, oh my God, they're really doing this. They're just going to roll with Andy Dalton. That is the plan. we, we, We kept... The GM who did this to us. We kept the head coach who did this to us. And then with that, it seemed like we were going to try it with Andy Dalton. And it was just like, I it was just this absolute black void where football was supposed to be for me. Where That was the first moment where I really thought, there, maybe I'm just not going to watch football. There anymore. is, if you look on YouTube, there is a Hogan Johns episode that was recorded shortly after that QB1 tweet. And I think a good half of it is just them playing voicemails that they received from fans. And it's (laughs) so funny. Just the most unhinged, angry... It was so dark. It was so dark, man. Yeah, that was... It was bad. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Honestly, I think that's a good place to end our (laughs) recap of the Lost Years. It was so dark, guys. It was dark. You missed us. We missed you. There was some... There was Jimmy Clausens and Andy Daltons. We are there was a Matt Barkley and a Brian Hoyer in there. It happened, yeah. So we are hopefully emerging into a bright light of a new Bears day. We will hopefully be here with you throughout. But yes, those are those are our thoughts, guys. Those are the last years. Matt Nagy, Mitch Trubisky, John Fox, Mark Tressman. We we covered the ground. We we dug up some painful memories for everybody. Um, I mean, we could leave it on a positive note, man. When the Bears traded up and you sent me that text, man, I wasn't watching football. I wasn't going to watch the draft. I was uh, yeah. impressed. You I sent me that the... text message, and you like, Travis, they traded up. Travis, they took your guy. W- yeah. Travis, they took Justin Fields. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't even watching that draft. My, my brother-in-law, who is a loyal listener, hi, Vinny, my brother-in-law texted me, and he said, Bears just traded up. And I went, did they? And I was scrambling quickly to find the draft, that I got the draft on just in time. And I just remember sitting there saying, I swear to God, if this is Mac Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I, you waited. You yeah. smartly waited before when you they, sent me the text the minute, message. They said, the like, minute they said Justin Fields, my, I was sending, I was like, oh my God. And, I, and part of me, I was excited, and then part of me was in pain, too, because I was like, I, I was almost out. I was almost out. And yeah. now I, am, I have to see this goddamn bear shit through for at least three more years. So, hopefully it's going to be longer than that, though. Hopefully Justin is the guy, and this is the last time we do a podcast recapping a dark fucking era of Bears football. God, I hope that wasn't foreshadowing, man, because this is the third year for you. (laughs) It is. It is. I hope so. All right. But that's all I've got for now. Hopefully you folks enjoyed this walk through memory lane. Bears fans, we always like to find comfort in our shared misery, so... Yeah, I think next week we'll be back to more present times. Yeah, I think uh, uh, probably start rolling some division previews, maybe. Maybe start with the AFC, wait on the NFC, maybe see if the Bears set a goddamn edge in that last week before camp so we can just revise our estimate of their win total up a little bit. We'll see. You're going to have to save the NFC North for that week between the preseason and the regular season, just in the hopes that they sign a defensive end, goddammit. Like, any day now, guys. You have so much cap room. Please sign a defensive end. Absolutely. All right. Well, good night, folks. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. Go Bears.
Now you know I'm leaving here. 